Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. We're so grateful to have you on today. We have a really good show for you. Two extraordinary guests who bring a lot of wisdom, particularly in foreign policy, but also on the domestic policy and issues of our time, the economy. Joining us first, General Keith Kellogg, the former National Security Advisor to both President Trump and Vice President Pence. He is really one of the great strategic thinkers in all of this national security space. He's going to join us first, and then we're going to have a great interview with a good friend of the show, Congressman Austin Scott from the great state of Georgia. He'll be here to give us an update on his warnings about the impending global food shortage. If you remember, you heard that here on this show a few months ago. Those predictions are becoming true. The war in Ukraine, other supply chain shortages, increasing fuel costs, which is increasing the cost of fertilizer. All of that has created a perfect storm. And the early signs of a food shortage are beginning to appear. By next year, they're going to be a lot more severe unless some drastic action takes place. Congressman Scott's going to give us the latest on that, what we can do. Also, we can't have a conversation without talking about what happened in his state. Record voter turnout in Georgia after a Georgia election integrity law was passed. How about that? The voter turnout was much larger. They did make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And the Democrats' claims of voter suppression blown away by the voter turnout in Georgia. I'm sure we're going to be talking about that with Congressman Scott, along with Russia, Ukraine, China, and also the crisis of supply chain in America, which is more than just Biden policies. It's years of neglect in our manufacturing and Main Street sectors. I'm sure we have a lot to talk about there with the Congressman. So without further ado, let's get started with two great interviews. We'll take a quick commercial break here from our great partners, sponsors, and advertisers. When we come back up first, General Keith Kellogg. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. 
Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out. Higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Always excited to have this next guest on. He is one of the most important strategic thinkers in the foreign policy and national security space. Of course, he was national security advisor both to President Trump and to Vice President Mike Pence. He's currently the co-chairman for the Center for American Security and He's the author of, I think, one of the most important books written in the last couple of years, War by Other Means. If you haven't gotten that book, folks, check it out. It is an extraordinary book. Uh, joining us right now, General Keith Kellogg. General, great to have you back on the show. Hey, John, thanks for having me. Good to be with you. It's a great time to have you on because so much is going on in the world. But I want to start with something. We had your good friend Fred Flights on here, our good friend. You wrote an extraordinary op-ed this past weekend in the Washington Times. America first is America at its best. It really took on the false globalist attack that somehow America first under Trump was an isolationist policy. You hit that one right out of the park. Uh, tell us what motivated you to write that. Well, the frustration, John, the frustration we had was everybody keeps targeting America first as isolationists. We're running away from the world. Uh, you know, it's it's all about me, 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 not, you know, not helping anybody out. I said, I said, that's garbage. It always has been. You know, I remember when we first started, but this back in 2016, I got a call from a gentleman by the name of Benji Sarlin, who, who's a writer for MSNBC. Sure. And the first thing out of his mouth, he says, well, America First is, is uh, goes back to the America First Committee in pre-World War II. I said, no, it doesn't, because he was trying to get me to say it's an isolationist type of phrase. And I said, no, it's not, it has nothing to do with it. I said, it's actually based on the Constitution of the United States. And I said, the, you know, in the preamble of the Constitution, it says, we the people. Well, America first is designed to help America first to make sure that our house is in good order before something else, before we subvert our, uh, our allegiances to, to other, other nations out there. You know, it goes back, when I had an interesting discussion with Donald J. Trump, uh, this goes back five years now, and we were talking, and I said, you know, I know you don't know this guy, but there's a guy named Paul Kennedy who's a big professor at Yale University, pretty smart guy. I wrote a great book called Rise and Fall of Great Powers, 1500 Till Today. 
And uh, he said, great nations have fall because of one big reason, and it's called strategic overreach, meaning you pay everybody else's bills before you pay your own bills. You, you send money out before you take care of your own country. You fix their potholes and roads before you fix your own potholes. And he said, nations fall because of that. He said, you have to make sure your own house is in order before you can help others. And then when you do that, it's pretty good. And that's what Trump, when he went to the first UN General Assembly, talked about national sovereignty, how all nations should think like that, about your own interests first. And once you do that, then everything else falls in place. So it's America versus not isolationism at all. Uh, it is just taking care of us, and then we can help others out there. But it, it's there's getting to be a pattern line out there that that's what America first is. And so when when Fred and I wrote that article, we were pretty frustrated. We said, you know, how many times do we have to beat people over the head with this? But that this is our way of the world, and America First Policy Institute, which I'm part of, is pushing it. That's where Trump pushed it, and that's what he means about America first. The American men and women, the kids of America, deserve our attention before we go somewhere else. Pretty simple. It really is. And and really, if you look through history, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but most presidents, at least since uh, the Truman era, have had a foreign policy that it's important to define the American interest before taking a foreign policy or national security action. It only seems that since the Obama years, obviously got changes in the Trump and then came back with Biden, that this idea that the American interest should be subjugated to the uh, international interest that uh, that, that kind of got injected. But for most of uh, our history, uh, Donald Trump's and your philosophy was the prevailing philosophy of America, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, uh, and I don't think anybody really thought there was anything wrong with that. We, you know, it doesn't mean you abandon your allies. Uh, when you talk about alliances, as an example, was, you know, it's, it's when the president Trump used to say, pay, pay your fair share. You know, I'll just use NATO as an example because they said, well, Trump's was anti-NATO and America first is anti-NATO. I said, no, it's not, not at all. You know, when people will say, well, Article 5, you know, attack on one's attack on all is very important. I said, sure it is. But you know what? I used to talk to people and said, well, tell me what Article 3 says. You know, I got that blank stare. And I said, well, you know, Article 3 is the funding article. And what Article 3 says is that all nations will prepare and spend for their individual and collective defense. And it was all agreed at the Wales Declaration in, in 2014 that everybody would pay 2% 2 of their GDP towards defense, and 20% of that would be modernization. Okay. Well, there was only, when we came into office, when, we, when the president came into office in 2016 and 17, when the inauguration day, there was only five countries of, the, of then, uh, the 28 countries, now 30 countries, that were paying 2% GDP to defense. I said, well, that's not an alliance. You know, and it, that's what we were talking about when he used to hammer NATO is everybody pay up the 2%, and then you should never fear about anything going on because it becomes an overpowering collective uh, security alliance and shouldn't have to worry about anything. So that's where we're all kind of coming from. If you want to be part of an alliance, then everybody is part of the alliance on a fair and equitable share. You know, we pay 3.7 of our percent of our GDP, which is a lot more than anybody else has yeah. paid there. But we expect a lot of others to pony up as well. That includes countries like Germany, which they're not there yet. Um, you know, it said, look, you need to pay your 2% GDP. And then for years, they said they'd never get there. Well, when the Russians invaded Ukraine, all of a sudden they said, well, we're going to go to 2% GDP. Well, I'm glad you realize that all of a sudden, that they need to be there. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I guess we're in a moment now where that uh, imbalance has grown again because the United States belatedly, but now is putting a lot of money down on Ukraine, 40 plus billion in new spending there. And the Europeans aren't anywhere near that. Does this become another pre-Trump NATO situation where we're uh, carrying a disproportionate amount of the cost? 
Yeah, in fact, we we were talking about that. I talked about that on television the other day too. As I said, look, you know, when you add up the, the tranche that was before that, we're at about fifty billion dollars spread between you know military, diplomatic, military, diplomatic, humanitarian aid, and the the close when you add up all these other nations out there, the closest country to us. Uh, is Britain, but if you add them all together, it's only about eight billion dollars, and we spent fifty. I said, you know, it's a done deal. You know, the bill's been signed. We're going to spend this n- recent tranche of forty billion dollars. I said, but you know, this we should tell everybody this is the last time we're going to do that until the other NATO allies or the alliances that's in Europe that want it, wants to help Ukraine. They need to pony up more. That's part of the deal. They're very wealthy countries, and we shouldn't be putting this on the back of only the U.S. taxpayers. I mean, this kind of settles the battlefield for what it is right now. But I would turn around and say, I would, if I was recommending anything to to Congress, I said, no more tranches of money like that until the alliances put money up, like we put money up, uh, and balances it out to help Ukraine. Because I, to me, John, we're just putting way too much uh, on the back of the American taxpayer. Yeah, no, we, uh, <laughs> the the burden is counting every day. I just saw a. Um a little study that in the city of Chicago, which is obviously one of the most heavily taxed, when you take all of the tax burden together, federal, it's like $157,000 per person in deficit spending between the federal government and the uh, local government. Just remarkable how much we're leaving for a legacy for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren to pay our, our debts. Um, how do you handicap Donald uh, uh, Joe Biden's uh, Russia policy now? Obviously, he was slow in plotting. It was bumpy. He was leading from behind. There's been a little bit more assertive, assertiveness and clearness, uh, clarity lately. Do you think he's doing better? And how would you have recommended him do it versus how he's doing it now? Well, I, I think he's doing a better now than he was. I mean, we started this thing in an abysmal fashion, and what I mean by that is, every you know, first of all, remember at the very start we offered Zelensky a ride out of town, and he said, "I don't need a ride; I need ammunition." You have to love a guy like that. Absolutely. And so that's, that's right off the top. We kind of said, "Okay, we think this is going to be a loser for you," so we didn't kind of push that. And then when he started, you know, asking for help, we were very slow in the uptake to do that because we were afraid of, quote, escalation. Right. And then we finally realized that we need to give him things. When, when, remember, Biden is the one who turned down to give him the, the, the 29 MiGs from Poland. And, and the reason I think that was important is because those MiGs would have increased the size of his Air Force by one-third. Right. And there's basically air equity going on. And we didn't give them the heavy-range artillery they need to match up with the Russians. We finally started to do that. So we were slow on the uptake. Now we kind of realize, oh, now we need to be where we're at. Uh, we're still not quite there. There's still some other systems we should provide them. But it's almost like now we kind of said, oh, okay, now let's go do, do something else. Here's where I think... Biden's making a mistake. And by the way, I don't think he can do it, but here's what he, hopefully he should have been able to do. This is one of those now, how do you get to conflict termination? Yep. Because over time, this thing is going to continue to spin out of control. Zelensky is not quitting. Putin's not quitting. Well, where's the interlocutor, normally it's the president of the United States, that can sit down with these two parties and say, okay, let's have a talk about this. Where are we going with this? Can we cut back on this? Let's go back to the status quo ante, in other words, back where the war started. And I don't think they're going to be there because Biden doesn't have any credibility. So it's sort of like right now, I don't think they know what they're doing. Right now, they're basically saying, well, we've given you the money. We've given you the ammunition. We've given you the weapon systems. Now it's kind of over you. But I don't see him proactively saying, 
okay, how do we get to the end of this game? Because to me, the longer this goes on, the worse it could get because somebody will make a miscalculation. Or the sacrifices of the Ukrainians are going to be enormous because they're going to keep getting cities hammered. Children are going to die. Men and women are going to die. And, and Zelensky's not giving in, and neither is Putin. So I think we're kind of at a, a stalemate right now. But the U.S. has kind of just said, oh, okay, they're kind of watching from a distance and not putting any diplomatic pressure to me on on either party to at least say, let's see where we're at. I don't recommend at all Zelensky you know, quit or give up anything, but the Chinese had a philosophy of fight, fight, talk, talk. That was Mao Zedong's idea when he was working with the, then the Chinese nationalist, and that's what he should do. You know, Keep fighting, but at least he should talk. Uh, so that's a long answer to a short question. I kind of give him when they started with an F, he's probably right now at a C uh, because we haven't gone to the next step, but he needs to go to. Yeah, such an important moment in history for us to get this right and not to get us into a prolonged conflict. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch how he navigates. Today, Anthony Blinken gave a speech on China, right, warning of the spread of communism. And he offered an interesting concept. He had a lot of the rhetoric of what a Donald Trump might say, uh, that you know China is our competitor, they are acting with malign intent, and that communism is bad for the world. And then he said that the way they would try to deal is not to go directly at China in a Cold War manner, but instead to try to control, strategically control the environment around China. A little nebulous. Also talked about the importance of getting China into an international governance posture, which sounds a lot like globalism to me. Your take on the Biden-China policy as it stands today? Yeah, well, where it stands today and where they want to go. Where it stands today is we're operating from from a deficit of will, because I think we, you know, we're really not being as strong as we probably should be with China. And, and what I mean by this, John, is, and by the way, what Blinken was saying, it almost sounds like he reread George Kennan's X article about, uh, you know, containing the Soviet Union. Maybe he wants to contain China, which probably is not a bad idea, but that's kind of what it sounds. But look, here's where you know we're currently at with we're working China, and you have to use Taiwan as as the touchstone for that. You know, you, this is one of those where you, you know, there's no defense treaty with Taiwan. You know, that we just don't have a collective security agreement with them. We used to until 1977 when Jimmy Carter abrogated it uh, unilaterally, which caused the Taiwan Relations Act to come about. Uh, so we, when we did away with that, we also, you know, basically did not recognize Taiwan and the UN, and they went away as well. So they're on the UN. But this is when you look at the Chinese and you go, if you look, if you're going to keep acting like this, if you don't want to talk about it, my recommendation would be, all right, well, maybe we ought to go back to a two-China policy. The only reason we're there to one-China policy is because when we tried to open up relations with you, we said there was only one China and Taiwan was part of China. But if that's the way you're going to be, we're going to do that. The second thing we're going to do, we're going to come up with a collective security agreement because they, everybody keeps talking about, well, we need to defend Taiwan. Well, then let's let Congress and everybody pass, get a treaty, have Congress approve the treaty, uh, and then go from there. Uh, but if you're not going to do it, all it is is talk because I don't think we're going to defend Taiwan without getting some type of defense agreement, a collective security agreement with them. So that's, that's the second step. Yep. And then the third thing I do, if you really want to look at the, if we really want to defend Taiwan against the Chinese, we may be able to say, look, you know, maybe it's time that Taiwan gets readmitted to the UN uh, and we'll sponsor them to do that. In other words, push back on the Chinese because otherwise they're dictating the terms. And every time we turn around, we're kind of on our back foot 
uh, and if we're serious about it. If not, okay, then then do something different. But you know, President Biden the other day said, you know, that we have a commitment to Taiwan, which we really don't want. We really don't have one. Right. But if he wants to talk like that, and there's a lot of people in Congress that are talking like that, then let's formalize it. Then let's make it serious, and then let the American people make a decision on that. You know, let the Senate decide on a treaty. But so right now, it's kind of like there's a lot of talk. The Chinese are kind of brushing us off, um, and they continue to march forward. I mean, remember, this is the same uh, – President Xi is the same guy who stood in the, the Rose Garden with Barack Obama and said that he has no intention of uh, fortifying the, any of the islands in the South China Sea. And within a year, they were yeah. fortified. We so, saw yeah, that I don't was. trust these guys at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they're weaponized well, that entire region now. I mean, they're just building yeah. military outposts everywhere. As you look back at this moment now, you know, there's still some of the Trump policies in place, which tells you that they were probably the right thing. Even Democrats can't reverse them, despite their obsession of reversing Trump. Uh, but if you were advising Joe Biden right now, it's an interesting idea. Do we, do we formally recognize Taiwan and, and literally create that thing? President Trump and I, when we were together the last time, we talked about a PEDO, a building on the quads agreement that you and others worked so diligently on in the Trump years, and, and maybe creating a NATO for the Pacific. Do you think that there is a opportunity for that? Is that a good strategy as a bridge to deciding whether we formally recognize Taiwan? Yeah, I think you can create an arc around around China if you really want to do it. And and the real linchpin on, on that was were the Japanese, you know, because we thought that they they could. Uh, there's no love lost between the Japanese in and and, um, and China anyway. And when we were Prime Minister Abe, what we wanted them to do was you know, basically change their constitution and and make it so that Article 9, which basically says they don't have a standing army, is, is change Article 9 so you do have a standing army and a navy instead of a, quote, J- Japanese defense forces, right. and create the ability to have a, a good, solid military force. Because the Japanese and the Chinese have this relationship that goes historically uh, not real well. Uh, to do that, to stand that up, and then we work with the South Koreans as well, and then you work with uh, when you, with the Philippines, and then you work it all the way down to uh, uh, to then to Vietnam. In Vietnam, we had great relations with, and they don't have great relations with the Chinese. We basically create an arc of security that would extend actually out to the South China Sea, especially with Vietnam. That's one of the reasons why we we gave two pretty darn good. They were older, but pretty good. Uh, military vessels, Coast Guard vessels to the North, to the Koreans, I'm sorry, to the uh, Vietnamese, right. so they could patrol the South China Sea. So you can create that arc of security. We were trying to do that. It was slow. But the key player in that was were going to be the Japanese. And then Abe got sick, and then we had the election, and that kind of fell through. But that was kind of the intent behind it, because what you don't want to do is you, you want to create this this defensive arc around China. Otherwise, they're going to really uh, Im- impact the, the the trade lines that you see that go through the South China Sea uh, and around Taiwan and that region as well. Yeah, it's a game of chess, and sometimes the Biden makes it sound like it's a game of checkers, but it's so much more complicated. And I think the direction that you guys were giving uh, on China was actually beginning to have an effect, and now it's it's muddled again. As you look out, there's a lot of people. It's a story that actually broke first on Justin News about two, two and a half weeks ago. 
Uh, the Biden administration quietly made recommendations or agreed to changes in our relationship with the World Health Organization that would subject the United States to some of its future pandemic edicts, including things about misinformation and, and when to travel and not. Your thoughts on, uh, without getting Congress's consent, the idea of changing that relationship and subjugating American sovereignty to an NGO? Yeah, I had I had huge pushback on that, John. The fact is, that was just dumb. You know, I'd, I'd say, look, we're going to start working with you again and full up when you start breaking through what actually happened with the COVID uh, the epidemic and where that started from and the Chinese, where it came out of. But right now, trying to give this the, uh, to, to the WHO any type of prerogatives over any of our health care is just absolutely crazy. And people say, well, that's not really what it was. I said, look, you, you don't want to leave anything in there for interpretation, and you can make it vanilla as you want, but if you put it in words, somebody will interpret it wrongly, and I don't want that to happen. So just, you know, you don't want to put anything in writing and any kind of support for the for the WHO, you know, and I've had huge concerns from uh, with him ever since when, when, uh, we, when COVID broke, and we didn't get the support we wanted from him uh, to try to get our, our you know, our CDC teams into China to try to break down what was actually happening out there. And, you know, Tedros is not exactly a friendly guy to work with, and he was very, very much in the Chinese pocket. So I think it was a good pushback on him. We pushed back on him, and uh, it goes back to this whole thing about what you made the term, used the term a minute ago, globalization. Look, these foreign organizations or these organizations that are U.N. organizations, you know, they shouldn't control anything of what we do or any financial activities of what we do or any policy activities of what we do here in the United States. Yeah, such an important thing. And it's remarkable how quietly Biden tried to slip this under the radar. It's good that people caught it in in there. I want to go to one other issue that you have been so eloquent on, and that is the growing wokeness in in the military, a focus on something other than the mission of fighting war, being secure and being safe. Uh, A really remarkable uh, thing happened kind of quietly. Fort Bragg is going to be renamed Fort Liberty. I know Fort Bragg is so important to you. Your reaction to that name change? Yeah, it just, um, when I heard that, I just really shook my head. You know, John, you know, I served at Fort Bragg a lot of times. You know, I I got married at Fort Bragg. Two of my kids were born at Fort Bragg. My daughter deployed with the 82nd from Fort Bragg into into Afghanistan. My son deployed out of Fort Bragg into Afghanistan. My son-in-law deployed out of Fort Bragg into Iraq. Commanded the 82nd there. Been, you know, been at that, been at the, it's got a reputation around the globe as the premier deployment force from the U.S. Army with its forces that are there. And it makes no sense to me that, that they did this because to me, I said, you know, the reason that, first of all, with Fort Bragg, when I used to talk to soldiers, they had no idea who Bragg was named after. They That's could right. care less. All they want to know is it was a pretty neat name that came out of there when, when you deployed out of Bragg. My frustration is, look, this was decided, this whole thing about the, the Confederate officers uh, was actually decided in 1865 with Ulysses S. Grant and, and President Johnson. And, I, and we've revisited it all, and I think we've made a huge mistake by tearing apart some of our history. You know, we have warts in our history, so what? We All countries do, but we've addressed them all, and we've talked about them. And what they're trying to do is sort of like burning the books. You just take all these names away, and, and it doesn't – so you, instead of talking about your history, you just kind of throw it away. And, and I don't care how – what you've done, you've created this. I don't care how good some of the names are. 
uh, like like Fort Benavides for at Fort Hood, who was you know Medal of Honor winner, which is fine. And I know that Fort Hood at Fort in Texas was a Confederate general. But the very fact is, it's one of those. Okay, who's going to? So maybe in ten years we ought to rechange the names again, or how about every five years we change the names of the posts? Because there's no standing legacy to these posts. So Fort Liberty to me will always be. I'll always call it Fort Bragg. Because ever, because to me it was just you made it a a woke instrument and had yeah. nothing to do with historical change out there. And liberty means I mean like okay, so you didn't name it for anybody. And I just think we've made a, a huge mistake in the last couple of years by pushing this whole thing on this renaming convention. I, I had this whole discussion in the Oval with President Trump, with with Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, and Mark Milley, and and when they made a comment, in fact it was you know pretty public, I've said this before, when Mark Milley and, and Esper said, well, Lee was a traitor, I stopped, I stopped him right there. I said, wait a second. I said, look to your left. That's where the residence is. I said, that was decided by Ulysses S. Grant when he went into Andrew Johnson right after Appomattox. And when President Johnson said he wanted to court-martial uh, Lee as a traitor, and said that was decided by when Ulysses S. Grant said to him, well, you do that, you're going to find a new general. And, and I said, that should have stopped everything right then. And then from that, from in creating what we're doing today is an absolute. It's just insane of, of changing all these posts, but it gets worse than that. We're changing street names, we're changing yeah. barracks names. Uh, and, I, and I finally turned to Mark Milley and I said, "You know, Mark, you know, other than the, the mass of the main that sits at Arlington, the biggest memorial at Arlington National Cemetery is the Southern Memorial, dedicated to the Confederacy." And there are Confederate soldiers based, you know, buried around it, and it was dedicated by a U.S. president. So what are you going to do about that? And I said, you know, you you don't go back and revisit history. I said, learn from it. Uh, and, I, and that's why, you know, that's why I stand on the podium and yell a little bit because I said, this is just, it, it really is divisive for the nation. And I just don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And it's going to keep marching on as long as the Democrats are in control. It seems to be more important to them than securing the border or doing some of the other things. Last, I want to ask one last question for you. The recent revelation that there was a plot to assassinate former President George W. Bush and that the key part to it was the perpetrator, an Iraqi national here, felt comfortable he could get his assassins back and across the border easily exploiting the Biden border. In fact, he himself got here and was allowed to stay in by taking advantage of the Biden changes in asylum. Uh, is this the beginning of a series of, of, of warning signs that the an open border is going to have a direct effect on our national security? Oh, sure. I didn't know we had a southern border. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good point. Yeah. It appears to be missing right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's insanity. You know, we really, I, I, John, I will tell you, President Bush, I'm sorry. President Trump really worked really hard at, at getting the border right. I mean, I meeting after meeting after meeting out there because he believes if you don't have a border, you really don't have a country. And it's really frustrating to me to see that being opened up the way it is. And you're right. I mean, the, the, people think that the border patrols down there is, is trying to cover the border. But when they are pulled back to co cover the agencies and the things they have to do, when people are coming across the border to control them and yeah. process them, that, that means the border is not being patrolled at all. And those are great Americans, the men and women who are in the in, in the border patrol. And we're not giving them the advantage of the ability to control the border, and it's, it's basically wide open. And, and Trump saw that, and he had enormous frustration 
And that's the reason we work so hard to close it down. And that doesn't mean your borders are closed. There's a right way to enter the country and a wrong way. I said, look, my, my daughter-in-law just became a naturalized citizen. She was from, she's from South Africa, but she did it the right way. You know, she went through her visa, went through all the Americanization, naturalization, and came in the country and finally got, you know, sworn in. But she did it right, and everybody needs to come in right. There's a line, get behind, the, follow a line, and get that way. And that's you get enormously frustrated when you see that because, again, it falls on the back of the American taxpayer because these people are coming in. Somebody's going to be paying for a lot of the services, and it's going to be the Americans that are out there. And there's a way to do it, and let's do it properly, uh, not in a random way. I remember you know, there was a great black congresswoman, Barbara Jordan, from Texas sure. years ago. We put in charge of it, and she had, she had a wonderful – I mean, she spoke – like gold, she was yeah. just tremendous. Very eloquent. She was democratic. Yeah, and 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 she's. I'm the not one sure she'd be a Democrat today. Would it be interesting? No, to I see. don't think you know yeah. something, John. She'd probably be a conservative Republican, but she talked about the border and the importance of the border and, and controlling the border, and she was put in charge of that commission that studied that. And and I look back at her words about it, making sure you have a good, secure border, and there's a process to come in there. And she was a, a magnificent congresswoman, she and sure a Democrat was. at that. But I'll tell you, it's wide open right now. Yeah, she died so young. I got to interview her once before her death in the early Clinton years, and she had a wisdom and a, a pro-America look at our country that just was really remarkable, really remarkable woman. So, yeah. yeah well, you're right about her. She did take a look at that border, and we should be, this administration should be adhering to her recommendations, not what they got right now. It's, it's a crazy time. Yeah. General, it is always an honor to have you. Folks, I want to remind you one more time, because if you haven't gotten this book, it's a wonderful Father's Day gift. I actually have a couple copies that I'm going to be giving to my brother and my dad for the, for the holidays. The author of the great book, War by Other Means, get it, sell it, give it to people for a gift. It's an amazing story of what really went on in the Trump administration. It cuts through all of the bad, false stories, and it really lays out how the foreign policy of Donald Trump came to be and why it was so effective. And as you know, we're seeing it unravel now. So remembering what it was like and knowing we can get back there someday is a great roadmap. General, as always, a wonderful conversation. So I want to thank you again. Wish you a happy early Memorial Day. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Great honor. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after this. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. 
Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you your 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Always glad to have this next guest on. He has lots of wisdom, and I can tell you, on this show not that long ago, he was one of the first to raise the concern that we were headed towards food shortages. Now everybody's hearing about them. Joining us right now, he was right then, he's going to be right again today, Congressman Austin Scott from the great state of Georgia. Congressman, great to have you on. Hey, John, great to have you, and uh, thank you, John. Let me jump in and ask you about what happened at home, because you had a remarkable election on Tuesday night. It went mostly without hitches, and uh, it had the largest turnout that Georgia had ever seen in a primary. This, less than a year after Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game out of your great state, and Democrats promised that there was going to be racial suppression of vote, and, uh, and uh, this would turn down voting. All of those predictions turned out to be false. Georgia pulled it off perfectly. Your reaction? Hey, it, it was all a bunch of nonsense when they started making the accusations. We had literally 1.9 plus million voters in this last primary. Uh, very few complaints about time at the polls. Very few complaints about uh, the election process as a whole. I think that anybody who participated got to see that uh, it was just a bunch of smoke and mirrors from the Democratic Party as they complained about the changes to the election law. And, you know, again, the, the law made it easy to vote and hard to cheat. And so our governor did a good job with it. Uh, he had a big win. Uh, I did think Brian Kemp was going to win. Uh, but David Perdue was a good senator. He had he had Donald Trump's endorsement. Brian Kemp got 73, uh, almost 74 percent of the vote. Yeah. And uh, so. I was for Brian. Uh, I thought he would win. Uh, I am shocked at the margin that he won by the. Well, it's a real vote of confidence by the people of Georgia. And and I think that uh, now the great challenge is, and, you know, President Trump had two uh, losses in, in, in election night. He was obviously for 
um, uh, uh, Senator Perdue, and he was pushing uh, Congressman Jody Heiss for Secretary of State, the incumbent Brad Raffensperger won there. But then he won two other big ones, Herschel Walker, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, folks like that won. Uh, Overall, it's still a very... Yeah, right. Yep. Uh, Vernon Vernon Jones. Vernon Jones, Lieutenant Governor, won without a runoff. Yep. And look, he's he's, he's still an important part of our party. Yeah. What is Very the key? Because this was a hard-fought primary, uh, but now everybody needs to unite to defeat people like Stacey Abrams, who actually say she's ashamed of her shame. But this comment she made going into this election, we're jaw-dropping. How does Governor Kemp, with that much popularity, President Trump with his popularity, how do they come together to make sure that Georgia is a red state at the end of the election night of 2022? Well, I mean, Georgia is a red state. And the momentum is on our side. If you look, uh, Stacey Abrams got 720,000 votes. There were 1.2 million cast on the Republican side. That has kind of reversed over the last couple of years where, where maybe the uh, momentum, or if, if you will, was on their side in, in the primaries. But uh, there, there are a lot of Americans that have woken up to what is going on in this country John, and there are a lot of people that have been voting Democrat in the state of Georgia that can no longer identify with the with the with the Democratic Party that they see today. And they're coming over and they're voting Republican. And, you know, they believe in personal freedom, uh, individual liberties and economic opportunities. And they recognize that the Democratic Party that that Stacey Abrams and uh, and Joe Biden stand for is, is not working for them. So she said, Georgia's not a great state to live in. I think it is a great state to live in. And I think Brian Kemp thinks it's a great state to live in. And uh, I would tell you, I think America is the greatest country in the world to live in. And if you listen to the Democratic Party, they pretty much say they don't like America. And and that's where I think that the national Democratic message has, has left so many of their people behind. And hopefully at the end of November, Republicans will have a controlling interest in the House and the Senate, and then we can bring this thing back to some sense of normalcy, get the price of fuel down, get the price of groceries down. Uh, we'll have to drag Joe Biden and and them kicking and screaming, but but that's okay. You <laughs> give us a chance, and we're going to deliver. That's why God made elections, so we can change course when uh, when things are going as badly as they are now. That's right. As you look out uh, now, I want to get back to this issue of, of, of the food supply, because you were one of the first persons I talked to in Everything that you predicted is is coming true. Russia made an interesting blink maybe an hour or two ago saying, hey, if you lift some of the sanctions, we'll help out with the food shortages. Obviously, that's just a form of blackmail bribery. But um, there is going to be a global food shortage. It's going to be a lot worse in third world countries than America. But we have to come to grips with this. And this should be a learning moment for us to figure out how we become less dependent on on countries that maybe don't have our best interests at heart. Is that, do you think that moment is coming? I, I think I think it was here uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I think that when President Trump started talking about America first, uh, people knew that he didn't mean only America. I mean, the, the message of America first is that the, the foundations of your basic necessities need to be grounded in your home country or if that's not an option, then they need to be grounded in countries that share both your interests and your values. And and what's happened in America is so many of our, our big industries have shifted their operations to uh, communist China and other countries right. that, that we can't depend on, that 
that we don't control our destiny anymore in this country. And, and Americans don't like that. It doesn't matter what party they're in. And they know that we have to, to make sure that we can feed ourselves. We should have more of our pharmaceutical supply uh, manufactured right here inside the United States. They are waking up to uh, the shortages of precious minerals and our inability to produce them in the United States. And so, John, I just I, I think Americans want common sense solutions. I don't think they want to be dependent on other countries. And I think Americans understand that China puts China first. India puts India first. And uh, there's nothing wrong with us putting America first. And again, America first doesn't mean only America. Right. Yeah, there, there's this false argument. In fact, we just had General Kellogg on the show, and, and he, he wrote a really powerful op-ed in the Washington Times a couple of days ago. America first doesn't mean isolationist. It just means you define the American interest first before you make decisions. Many times, the American interest is to help others, and, and we've shown that throughout our entire 246-plus year history. Um, when do, uh, do you think that the American people are beginning to realize that the attacks on America first are kind of False attacks, false uh, arguments, uh, non non sequitur arguments. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and and I think they're tired of it, and I think they want solutions. They know that what's going on at the border is not okay. They know that we're losing, you know, tens of thousands of Americans a year to to drug overdoses that come from yeah. uh, ignoring the laws to secure the border. They know that uh, countries like China are not only building islands in the South China Sea and other areas, but they are uh, a territorial threat to Taiwan. They recognize now that unfortunately, we have become dependent on uh, even a country like Taiwan, uh, who shares both our interests and our values. Uh, Too much of our chip manufacturing is done over there. We need some of that brought back to the United States. And uh, there's, there's a recognition that while Uh, The press doesn't like to talk about the human rights violations of China. I think that more and more Americans are paying attention to that. And when you buy something and you turn it over, as I did today at Lowe's with my kid when he wanted a little pinwheel, uh, and it says made in China, maybe it should say made in communist China instead of just China. Uh, because China is not a country that is moving in the right direction. They're a country that is moving in the wrong direction with regard to human rights. And, we need we need to shift our purchasing from China to other countries that are out there in a, in Asia that do share our interests and our values. Yeah, it's so important to do that. That'd be an interesting idea, moving the, the made in China to made in communist China label. That would uh, educate a lot yep. of people because I think a lot of young people don't even realize it's communist. They've been told to love China and um, yep, fascinating. And there's some things they're going to make that uh, that we're not going to make in. In, in America, you know, some some of the cheaper stuff that um, that we buy, but you know, the high tech manufacturing, the pharmaceutical manufacturing, uh, pharmaceuticals are pretty much India. Uh, we, we need to bring as much of that back to America as we can. Yeah, no, it, that's 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 the great opportunity of the next few years is to figure out how much we can insource, create jobs, create independence. Uh, starts with energy because we've given up a lot of our energy, but that's right. An enormous opportunity. You had an, uh, just a wonderful interview the other day on uh, Mayor Bartiromo, and I think your vision for the American economy is 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 right where I think most Americans are now. They've now they're tired of five dollar gas, they're tired of food shortages, rising prices. Um, 
if Republicans get in control, and it certainly looks like they can next year, where do they start to build a an economy that is the antithesis of the Biden economy? Yeah. Well, what we have to what we have to do is is adopt legislation that is supportive of our small and mid-sized businesses. The Democratic Party, uh, they're going to support those Fortune 100s. Those are the companies that can afford to move their operations offshore. Uh, what we as the Republicans have got to do is we've got to make sure that we're taking care of uh, those small and those mid-sized businesses that, that can provide and, and will provide competition for the supersized industries that are that are moving more and more of their, their employees outside of the United States. And so I, I think the key to it is protecting people's constitutional rights uh, and then uh, in conjunction with that, making sure that your small and mid-sized businesses uh, are able to thrive. And that comes from a couple of things, John. You know, the Democratic Party wants everybody in America to be able to unionize. That simply won't work. I mean, you, you can't put unions in to you know, your small town hardware store, your small town grocery store, right. and think that, that those uh, small and mid-sized businesses are going to be able to survive. It's, it's just not possible. And so, and so uh, protecting small and biz- mid-sized businesses from what they want to do by, by turning control of those businesses over to labor unions, that's one of the things that we have to do as Republicans, making sure that we protect uh, th- those small and mid-sized businesses from tax increases mm-hmm. that the Democratic Party uh, wants to pass on to them. And then we've got to have, you know, on, on the social benefit side of things, John, we've got enough money to take care of anybody who can't work in this country. So if you can't work, we're a generous enough country that there can and, and will be a uh, some type of support for you out there. But we'll never have enough money to take care of people who simply won't work. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to have to stop uh, competing with those mid-sized and small-sized businesses by, by handing out so much in in the way of you know, benefits from the federal government. And I, I think if we can do those three things, I think the economy will, will recover. And uh, then we, we have got to get a, a Republican president and get some of this stuff locked down permanently into, into permanent law instead of just temporary fixes. Yeah, that's such an important thing. And, and, and so many of the things that Washington's done the last 10 years, just keep kicking the can down the road, getting things uh, locked in, like the tax cuts and other key policies, getting manufacturing. That gives people certainty, right? Businesses then on Main Street can say, all right, we know we can count on these breaks. We can know we can count on this regulatory relief. Let's invest. And we saw that in the Trump years. And then it seems like everybody is pulling back in the economy right now because so much seems uncertain about the Biden agenda and where it's going. Um, will the, do the elections uh, give the, an opportunity for business to see a, a clearer path to a, a, a more uh, more bright future? Is that what you will the business community react if Republicans get in control? I, I think so. Now there there is still concern, and and I hear this quite frequently from business owners that have the ability to expand inside America. They're concerned about Democrats having control of the agencies and taking certain liberties with the agencies as far as investigations and and fines and uh, other things that you would not see in, you know, under a Republican administration. And so I I spoke with a guy here in Georgia that's got the ability to expand. They're in geothermals. They use resin. It's It's a big manufacturing process. And 
their concern and the reason they won't expand is because it's hard to hard to invest tens of millions of dollars in an environment where you don't know what the regulations are going to be tomorrow. Yeah, great point. And so I think that is a key part of it for industry is not knowing what the regulations inside the United States are going to going to be uh, a year from now or 24 months from now. And if we can we can handle some of that, John, if, if we get if we get the House and the Senate we can write things into the appropriation yeah. measures the power of the that person. limit that limit the agency's ability to take punitive actions against the employers in this country, uh, and, and that's one of the primary concerns with our business owners that do have the ability to to expand. One, they're looking at the economy potential recession coming, but but they're also looking at uh, an extremely aggressive. A regulatory environment and and the the combination of those two things has got them keeping their hands in their pocket instead of putting their money at risk. Yeah, such an important dynamic that has to be has to be changed. Last question I want to throw at you because you have been one of the most important voices on border security. We hear the Homeland Security uh, chief constantly say, Mallorca, so, oh, we got the border under control, it's safe. Uh, we just saw the FBI director yesterday say the opposite. The border is a problem. Uh, the CPB has its hands full. National security threats do exist because of the condition there. And then we also had the Justice Department essentially say the same thing because in their indictment of this Iraqi national that was going to attempt to assassinate President Bush, they acknowledged his whole scam, his whole scheme rested on the idea that he could get the, the killers across the border and back with ease. And in fact, he himself got in here because of a change that Biden's asylum rules made that allowed him to stay in the country when he normally would have been kicked out. Um, does the Bush assassination court case uh, really start to wake people up that uh, there's a real serious consequence here to this border? Well, I think Americans are awake and Americans know there's a problem. I think people from the immigrant community know there's a problem. And the problem is the Biden administration is being controlled by a group of radicals. And so I don't think the Biden administration is going to do anything about it. And that's just it's just the position he's taken, and it is one of indifference towards the way uh, America feels or the sovereignty of our country. I, I am hopeful that if we, uh, again, get the privilege to govern in November, that we'll be able to write into uh, the appropriation measures restrictions on what can and can't be done with the funds. And one of the potential restrictions would be, hey, you know what? You can't spend any money on some agenda that they might have until you are able to prove that the border is secure and eliminate the flow of illegal immigrants. So there, there are things that we can and should do and, and, and will do, John, but you got to have, you got to have someone in the white house that cares. And right now we just don't. It's a remarkable dynamic. And I was at the store the other day and this uh, woman came up to me, must've recognized me from, from the work I do. And, and just said, uh, just flat out, um, are we losing this country right now? And I said, I hope not. But, you know, it, there, there, it does require two parties to dance on this one. And one party is marching against the Americans' will. It, it seems as though this election has much higher stakes than maybe some earlier elections in our past. Do you feel good about Republican chances? I, I feel very good about Republican chances. I think that the Democrats are going to pull out all strings. I yep. think they're going to do their best to create crisis after crisis. And uh, but between now and then, and and they're pretty good at the blame game. I, I, I'll just tell you, I think every time 
an American goes and they fill up with gas or they go to the grocery store or go through a drive-thru, John, I think they know that they're better off under Republicans, especially if you look back to where the country was four years ago, virtually full employment, gas was a couple of dollars a gallon, food was cheap, and now uh, people might have gotten a wage increase, but they're having a much harder time making it to the end of the month than than they were just a few years ago. And that's because of, of what Joe Biden and the liberals have done with the cost of fuel and energy. And uh, that just translates into these huge inflation numbers that we're seeing. And, you know, so I, I'm confident in the in the American voters that come November, uh, they're going to they're going to create some balance. And then then we as a party, we've got to deliver that balance in the legislation that we pass. That's the key. Got to deliver next year. That's what people will be looking for. That's right. Congressman, right. it is always an honor to have you on. Uh, you bring us such wisdom and, and uh, your ability to synthesize complex issues is such a great benefit to our audience. I want to thank you again. Wish you a happy early Memorial Day. Thank you, John. You have a great weekend as well. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll talk to you real soon. All right, man. Thank All you. right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back from the commercial break. That wraps up another show. What a great show today. Big thanks to Congressman Scott, to General Kellogg, two great voices. They really bring a lot of substance. You know, so many interviews on TV in the cable space today are just talking points and fluff. But here we get in this show an opportunity to talk to people who are in the know, who talk honestly about the facts, what their goal is, what can be done. I'm always honored by the quality of the guests who are willing to come on and spend time with us. I know their lives are busy, but they always make a difference. And this conversation that we get to have every day, I feel so blessed to have because we have smart people trying to give us facts and information. So you can make up your own mind. That's all we're trying to do here. Give you the information, trust you to make up the best decision for your life and politics, your family, economics, and General Kellogg and Congressman Scott for sure added to that process today. We're so grateful for them. Now, before we go, I always like to say, it's important really to appreciate that one of the benefits of being in the Just the News family is we have all of these incredible partners. They have great services, great products, and because they support Just the News, they create very special offerings for those who listen to John Solomon Reports podcast, who read Just the News. And one of those are my good friends at iTarget Pro. All of us are thinking about in this era of rising crime, Heck, even rising animals. There was a story the other day on our side about a black bear that broke into somebody's house. And if it weren't for the fact that they had a gun in the house, they might have been killed by this animal. Well, 
being a safe, trained gun owner so that you can defend yourself and your family is important. And thankfully, our good friends at iTarget Pro have created an unbelievable solution, a revolutionary system that allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime you can do it in the safety and privacy of your own home. This is a great product. I use it with my nine millimeter regularly. It's a fantastic system. It has a proprietary app. You can use it on your smartphone. You load the laser bullet into your firearm and you start training every day. It works flawlessly and it helps you to develop muscle memory, sharpen your target reaction, your speed, your sight alignment, trigger function, all the things that make you a good safe shooter. And God forbid you need to do it to defend yourself, a good defender of you and your family. Now, iTarget Pro has a special offer for all of us here at the Justin News family. So go to iTargetPro.com right now and save 10%. Plus, you're going to get free shipping with the offer code JUSTNEWS. That's all one word. This makes a great gift for Father's Day, and it is less expensive than a few hours at the range. So for your father, your grandfather, someone special in your life on Father's Day, what a great gift. It can help them sharpen their defense skills with their own weapon in their home with this extraordinary system. I do it all the time. I love it. It saves ammunition. It saves range costs. And of course, it makes you a better, safer shooter. Why not have that in your back pocket? So itargetpro.com. That's easy. The letter itargetpro.com. And just use the promo code JUSTNEWS. With that promo code, you're getting 10% off and free shipping. Go get this incredible product. If you are a gun owner and you want to be better and safer and smarter and build that muscle memory without having to expend a lot of ammunition, iTarget Pro has the perfect solution. iTargetPro.com. Use the special code JUSTNEWS. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So grateful for all that you do for us, subscribing to our newsletters, joining our subscription VIP club, and having the monthly meetings with me where we have great conversations. I just love it, and I'm so grateful for you and all of the members of our community, including our great advertisers and sponsors like iTarget Pro. All right, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, God bless you. God bless this great country of America, as he always has. Have a good night. And remember, if you need a news fix 24-7, we got you covered at justthenews.com. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now.